Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you've been a part of this class, you know that chronologically where we are when we have the book of 1 Peter written is approximately A.D. 63 to 64. And uh, what's happening at that time is Christians are still being persecuted by primarily the Jews. Uh, Christianity has spread, though, not only through Uh, the scattering that happened with the Christians that were persecuted by Paul, but also because of those people who just went home from the day of Pentecost the first time, and also from the missionary journeys of Paul as well as Barnabas. So uh, the gospel has made it even into Asia Minor areas, and that's where this book's actually written to. But they're getting this persecution from the Jews. But what's going to happen is it's all going to change. In fact, there's two steps to this change that are coming. One of them is, well, in, the, in, the, in AD 64, Rome burns, and uh, Nero ends up blaming that on Christians, so then it becomes illegal to be a Christian. So, see, persecution now starts coming from Rome as well. So that kind of intensifies everything. But the second thing that's going to happen is, in AD 70, the Romans are going to surround the city of Jerusalem, destroy the city, and de- destroy their whole legal system. So as far as the ability to persecute and carry on from the Jews, that's not going to happen anymore after A.D. 70. So, so Peter's writing this book to try to encourage them to stay strong, stay faithful, uh, understand, you know, God's always been truthful with us, understand it's going to get worse before it gets any better, but stay faithful to God and he'll, he'll bless you. Uh, as we went through chapter 2 on Wednesday night, what we started to highlight is he started putting emphasis on uh, around what's around us. And the influence we have as a Christian on those people around us. It's not always about what you say. Sometimes it's about, you know, who you are. Uh, In fact, it more often is about who you are. And so he started talking about uh, servanthood or humility, this kind of thing. Living the humble Christian life, not retaliating, not, not trying to get even or whatever, but recognizing that the reason that they're dealing with what they're dealing with is because they're faithful to God. So that application has to go into several relationships, and it will tonight as we start in chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise. So we've already got a word showing us that he's continuing a context, right? And that context is what we just talked about, about this submissive attitude to the way that they were supposed to, to, to exist. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word... They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. It's always wonderful to teach uh, on these passages when your wife's in the class uh, because you get to answer when you get home just if you say it wrong. So I have to be very cautious about this. But uh, when he uses the word likewise, he's saying the same thing as he said in the first example, isn't he? The same thing as in the first example. In other words, what he's saying is that there are roles in the home. There are roles. And they're not the same roles. And it's not that one's important and one's not important or neither are important or whatever. It's everything is important in its role. And if there is a missing link in in the roles in the home, well, the home can't be what it ought to be. And in this particular section, what we're dealing with is the fact there has to be somebody who steps up and takes a leadership role. And that leadership role falls to the husband. So the wife's role then is to serve in a submissive way. That doesn't mean she's lesser. That doesn't mean she's 
uh, worthless or whatever people... It doesn't mean that it's, it's an ancient, out-of-date tradition. That's what people like to say a lot of days. It just means the home won't function the way it's supposed to unless we recognize it's not about me. Everybody's got to know that. It's not about me. So I'm going to be who I, want, who I should be before God in every role. And the, the example that he's using here talks about winning a husband. Winning a husband. Somebody who is unfaithful. How much do you think you gain, uh, you know, by berating somebody who's not faithful? Let's say you've got a family member that's not a member of the church and you want to sit down and talk to them about it. How much do you gain by sitting down and yelling at each other about it? You actually close doors, don't you? Because it becomes more about winning an argument. Okay? What, she, what, what the author here is saying, Peter is saying, is what she can accomplish by submitting in her role and living her Christianity every day is she can accomplish something that she'll never accomplish by complaining at him. And that is the same thing that we accomplish in the world, and that is to show who we are, to really be Christians. Keep reading. Uh, do not be. Do not let your beauty be that outward adorning of arranging of the hair, of wearing gold, or of putting on fine apparel. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So now he takes it further. And again, you know, it, it's really sad. Uh, the devil has been very successful in getting people to read things and and take them out of their context and use them where they don't go. And I mean that in ways of both loosing things that God has bound as well as binding things that God has loosed. I mean, it goes both ways. This is one of those passages where some people read it and they say, see, this means that women shouldn't wear makeup or they shouldn't wear jewelry or whatever. And there, there are places here, there's a school here that will not let anybody... Uh, that's in it where any kind of makeup and this is where that comes from there's a context and the context is be who you're supposed to be and who you want to be on the inside and when you are what's on the outside follows so the servant that he talked about in chapter two if he is a christian if he's serving god first then who he is as a servant to his master is impacted isn't it And as far as the relationship between a husband and wife, particularly the wife, if she is a Christian first in this relationship with God, then who she is in the home on the outside is who she is on the inside, right? So he's not saying don't worry about the outside. He's saying put your emphasis on the inside and what's on the outside will be even more beautiful. If your beauty is just the makeup and the jewelry and the hair and all of that, but the inside's really nice and ugly, what good does that do? But if on the inside... If on the inside you're who you're supposed to be, what's on the outside even looks better. His point is, don't be all about exterior things. Be about who you're supposed to be on the inside. Keep reading. Four, there's our connecting word. In this manner, what manner? The manner of submission in a role and changing the inside, not worrying so much about the outside, right? Right? For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Now, there's a whole lot to go through in that little section right there. Let me start with this. I can confirm to you through that verse the statement that I made just a moment ago, which is the passage is not telling us don't wear jewelry or or, or make ourselves up. Because Sarah did that. 
But we also know that Sarah was so beautiful that when they got into Egypt, Abraham's afraid he's going to lose his life, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, where did that come from? Was it just the outside? No. What he's saying is the woman that is their example, especially those who came from Judaism, the woman who was their example was a person who had incredible outward beauty, yet her true beauty was found on the inside. Because of who she was, even in her relationship to her husband. When she called him Lord, that's not the same thing, by the way, as us calling Jesus Lord. When we call him Lord, what that means is I'm nothing and he's everything. He has the right to tell me who to be and what to be and when to be it and all of that. And I don't have a right to challenge that. That's not the way this word is used. What this word is used is to recognize one of these days, the husbands are going to stand before God and answer for that home. And if they're going to do that, they're going to have to be responsible enough to lead it, aren't they? Not getting as many head shakes tonight. But he cannot do it unless she fills her role. We, we have such... This may be one of the greatest issues in, in society today. I don't even want to say our society because I see it everywhere. I go, uh, so many mixed up roles. We, have, we don't have husbands in a lot of homes anymore. And if we do have a man there, a lot of times we have a woman who's the husband. We have the battles that go on and the authority that goes on, and we have a whole generation of people that grow up that don't know what a role is for a husband or a role is for a mother, a wife. Well, how are we going to be who we're supposed to be if we don't ever see it? And so what he's challenging these people to be is in the midst of all these persecutions, the temptation is act like everybody else, and like we talked about last week or Wednesday night, to lash out at those who are closest. Well, you can't do that. So you be faithful to God on the inside and the outside follows. And Oh, and also notice he said at the end of verse 6, uh, you are whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Uh, that's kind of hard to apply to a marriage situation. Uh, but I think what he's talking about there is motivation. You know, are you who you are? Uh, do you fit in the role that you fit in because... Uh, you're willing to do it or because somebody makes you do it. See, this is, this is hitting on the husband too because we have a whole lot of men who don't know what it means to be a, men, a man and they, uh, they believe things have to be demanded. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells a husband to, uh, to demand anything of his wife. That, that submission is never told to him. He's not supposed to make it happen. But that's what he's talking about here. Don't be a person who has to have it made. Keep reading. There's more. Likewise. So we're dealing with the same manner, right? Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So to the man, he says, how can she do her role if you don't do yours? And that's what I was just talking about, about the homes today. How can, how, can, how can a wife fulfill a role of keeping that home together if the husband's not leading the home where it's supposed to be? Or at all, for that matter. And so he says, in the very same way, unless you get the idea, because I've just said the women are to be submissive in the home, unless you get the idea that means you're superior, what I'm saying is you're to be the same kind of person. On the inside, you're supposed to change. And if you're who you're supposed to be with God, then you have a job to do. And a part of that job is you're the home's protector. The home's protector. 
Now, that could go a lot of ways. The way he's mentioning it here is physical. You know, it's not... Look, there is no, nothing that you could say for certainty that everybody is this or everybody is that, unless you use the statement like everybody cries sometimes. That's true. Uh, but other things you couldn't say, everybody's tall or everybody's short or everybody does this, right? Uh, but in a general sense, uh, the difference in the way that God created man and woman, the man has usually got more strength. That's because he has a job. His job is to protect his home. Now, there was a time that was always physical, wasn't it? Okay, but does that mean it doesn't apply spiritually? See, you're not just responsible for the physical safety of your home. You're responsible for the spiritual safety of your home as well. So the challenge here is, if everybody... Listen, you know when, you know when marriages end? When one or both are not what God wants them to be. One or both. You know when marriages last? Not when they've met their soulmate, not when they've, you know, been googly-eyed at each other for all these years. When it continues to exist is when both people are committed to God first and then committed to each other. And that's the point he's making here. If you're who you're supposed to be with God first, then the way you are with everybody else around you, including your spouse, is different. Keep reading. Finally, so he's bringing kind of a summary of all of this. All of you be, oh wait, I'm sorry. I do that a lot, don't I? Uh, what, was the, what was the result of the husband not fulfilling his role? Huh? Prayers be hindered. Isn't it a sad thing to have access to the throne of the creator of the earth and your prayers not be heard because of the way that you treat the people around you? So you think there are people, don't, don't name any names, you think there are people that show up here or anywhere else and they look all nice in their nice clothes and they lead prayers or songs or teach classes or whatever and then when they leave here they're not the same person that they were here? That's what he's warning against. You can't access God if you're not doing what you're supposed to do as far as the people around you. Okay, now we'll keep reading. Finally, he says, All of you be of one mind having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Let's stop there. It's not the end of the sentence, but there's a lot of things to deal with there. One of them is this idea of one mind. The word there is actually a word that means harmony. You know, if you, do you know how harmony works on a piano? If you hear, uh, it's an easy thing to talk about song leaders. If you're a song leader that gets up and you, you, you see the key of the song and the note you play, this isn't the way everybody does it, uh, but the note you play on that little pitchfork is the key and so what you do is you you heard people go right what they're doing is they're humming out the harmonies of the key that particular note and that's how you figure out where to start a song and that's also how you other people know where they're supposed to start but they're not the same note are they the answer that's no no head shook there that's not the same note those are three different notes that make a harmony but they're together. They work together. If you have a dissonant chord, you have some note that doesn't fit in there, and it sounds like makes your ears hurt sometimes when they play it. Okay, what he's saying here in the church is that we are supposed to be harmonizing. He's not saying everybody has to look exactly the same way and think exactly the same way and be exactly the same way because we're not. We have different backgrounds. We have different abilities. We have different thought processes. Now, does that mean that 
that we're never going to agree on, on the doctrine of the Scriptures? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean agree to disagree. It means if we have an attitude of harmony, then when it gets to this place where it's kind of an expedient or an opinion, that I think it ought to go one way and I've got my reasons for that and you think it ought to go another way, we're going to be selfless because we're submissive to God first. And so the way that we deal with each other is it's not about me. It's not about me. I'd like my way. I like my way all the time. But it doesn't always go that way, does it? And it shouldn't always go that way because we're accord. We're in harmony. So have this same mind, he says. Then he says further, having compassion for one another. See, sometimes you want what's best for your brethren. It ought to be all the time. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and be courteous. Have you noticed that all of those things are about somebody else and not about you? When you have compassion, do you have it for yourself or for somebody else? For somebody else, isn't it? What he's dealing with is, I'm not ever going to be, if I'm right with God, I'm not ever going to be the center of my world. I'm not. Not what I look like on the outside, not what I act like out here, not what I demand from my brethren. It's going to all be about God and each other. Keep going. The rest of the sentence. Not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, we've got to stop there just a minute. I know we've we got to keep going to the quote here, but I want you to think about it. He just said, have, have a harmonious mind, have compassion for each other, love each other, be tenderhearted, be courteous. That sounds like people are getting along, doesn't it? And then he turns around and says, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. See, here's the thing. Anybody here that had siblings, you always got along perfectly when you were growing up, didn't you? And your trips in the car were perfect because neither one of you bothered the other one in the car, right? Neither one of you did things to intentionally irritate the other ones, right? See, here's the thing. You can love your brethren. You can want what's best. But you're still human, and sometimes you're going you're gonna to mess up. And you're going to make somebody mad. And when you do... They're going to get even, right? Or somebody's going to make you mad, and when they do, you're going to get even, right? How does that go for harmony? How does that work? It doesn't work at all. So what he's saying is, this is who you're supposed to be, but recognize when you don't live up to it, you've still got a path to be who you're supposed to be. Don't get even. Go back to being this person. Keep going. Here's this quote. Blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing for... He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Interesting enough, and that's a quote from the Psalms, by the way. But the interesting thing about it is, he says, the first part, he says, anybody who wants a good life. Now, we read all that oftentimes, and we think about the passage that says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the first uh, we promise, right? Uh, and we look back and we say, See, they were going to stay in the land a long time, so it's long life. So now what he's saying from this quote from Psalm, we think is, If you want to live a long life. That's not what he said, though. He said, If you want to live a good life. There's a difference between a long life and a good life, right? So he says, If you want to live a good life, here's what you do. 
Well, don't go around talking about people. Don't go gossiping. Don't go lying. Well, why not? People don't like to hang around with somebody that's doing all that, right? So that's not going to produce a good life, is it? Okay, what else? Well, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Oh, that's important. See, it's not enough just to want peace. You've got to do what's necessary to get it. This is hard at home. It's hard at home. Husband and wife having an argument. They've got to win, right? You've got to win. You can't lose. It's a bad precedent. If you lose the argument, then you're, you know, you're down for the next one. This is bad. Okay, who's, who says, we always want peace. Who says they're sorry? Don't answer that, especially my wife. Isn't that the person who's actually looking for peace? Make peace. Don't just look for it. Make it. Keep going. Here's why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but he's against those. Think about that. What he's saying is if you want a good life, you can't live just however you want to and treat people however you want to and then turn around to God and expect that God's going to bless you, that you're going to have that kind of a good life. If you want that life, you have to be that person. That's how you get that life. And God knows, and God blesses us. And, of course, he doesn't bless us if we don't follow him. Keep going. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Okay, did he just say nobody will hurt you if you're doing the right thing? No? How do you know it can't be that? Yeah, it happens all the time. That's good. Uh, but I'd give you a perfect example is it happened to Jesus who did nothing more than come here to try to save men. He did everything good, and yet they killed him, right? So this passage is not saying if you do good, then nobody's going to bother you. Let me read it again. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? He's not saying that guy can't harm you. He's saying who is he? What's his value? You know, do you... Do you, do you know that this peer pressure thing that happens starts with kids and goes all the way to adults? When you give up to peer pressure and you become what they are to be like them or praise or whatever and gain all of that, you have become them, not you anymore. Well, who are they? Are they blessed by God? The people that turn toward evil? The people that persecute? Are they blessed by God in that? So his point is not that it's not going to happen. His point is you need to recognize who's doing it. If you recognize who's doing it, you're not going to join that side. Who ultimately is responsible for persecution against Christianity? Satan. And that's been going against God's people from the very beginning. He's responsible. So when somebody persecutes them, like the Jews are persecuting them, that's because the devil got a hold of them. Well, I'm not going to become a part of them. Why do I want to be a part of that team? Keep reading. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, something very interesting that I've learned today from that verse is that word blessed. Uh, we just talked about a blessing. You know, and when we hear the word blessing, what we think is something that you get, right? Thank you, God, for our daily blessings, right? The things that God gives to us. But this is interesting because, you know, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he has what we call the Beatitudes, right? And it says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those, you know, all the blesseds who suffer all this. 
Okay, that word didn't mean they get blessings. It meant that they are, it's not even just happy. It's deeper than that. It's talking about an existence that is the good existence. You have the life that, that God designs for you to be when you are like him. And that's the word that's used here. And it's kind of what he's just said. Look, who, who can hurt you? You're not going to be that guy. What you want to do is recognize that the life that gets you the peace that he just talked about. When he quoted from the psalm, the life that's going to give you that peace is not going to be trying to avoid the trouble. It's going to be trying to recognize that you're going to go through the trouble if you have to go through it because you're going to be who you're supposed to be. That's a challenge. I mean, it's easy to say it. You know, if I was persecuted, oh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up my faith. I wouldn't say anything I shouldn't or do anything I shouldn't do. But if you're really in the situation, what do you do? You know, what do you do when you're around your friends who are not acting like Christians and you don't want to stand out? You look like them, don't you? And so the challenge he's saying is be different. Be different because you can't impact the world unless you're different. Keep reading. But, this is the opposite. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready, be, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So he says, set God aside in your heart. This is what you do. If you're going to be a different person, if you're not going to worry about the, the, the people that are persecuting you or opposing you or whatever, if you're going to be this life that God bless, truly blesses you in, then what you have to do is you have to know what your faith is. You remember as you were growing up, if you grew up in the church, do you remember as you were growing up and you reached an age where you started questioning whether you believed the same thing that your parents taught you or whether you believed the same thing you believed in their classes that you've been taught? That's actually a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And the reason is is because you'll never last out there in the world with somebody else's faith. You won't make it out there in the world with the preacher's faith or the youth minister's faith or your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. At some point, it has to become your faith. You have to believe it. You have to follow it. And so the point he's making here is, if you're going to have the good life, you've got to know what your faith is. And on top of that, you need to be ready. The word actually for defense there is apologia. It's like apologetics, the answers. You need to be a person that knows who you are and why you are that, or else you can't answer the questions that somebody else has. Why are you different? Well, because the preacher told me I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do that. Well, that's not why, is it? It shouldn't be. So he said, always be ready to give an answer or a defense of who you are because you know why you are who you are. That's because you spend time in God's Word. He's brought that up plenty of times, hasn't he? A good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Is it? Can anybody make a mistake? Can anybody mess up? Yeah, anybody can mess up. That happens, doesn't it? And sometimes we're disappointed when somebody that we depended on messed up, right? But then there are other times where there are people in our lives who live such a consistent life, not that we think that they're perfect or that they would never mess up, but if somebody came to us and told us something the opposite of what we knew about them, we'd say, yeah, that's not the person I know, right? And the reason you would do that is because the person they have been consistently with you has been a different person. Could they mess up? Yeah. 
but the likelihood is less likely because of their consistent life. So what he's saying is, you're going to get accused. You're going to get accused. You just got to live your life in such a way that when they accuse you, they just don't have the ability to, to defend it. Uh, there have been times, I, I was told this when I started preaching, and it has happened. There have been times that people have tried to get me fired or said things about me that weren't true. And the only way you can defend yourself is by living a life that shows that it's not what they're saying, right? You can't argue. He said, she said, somebody's going to believe it. Both sides. What you have to do is live different. So their persecution doesn't cause them to live like the world. They live like God wants them to live, give an answer, know what their faith is, and by doing so, they protect themselves and they help others too. Keep going. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's not a very uh, encouraging verse for me. (laughs) Because basically what I get out of that verse is you're going to suffer one way or another. And that's true. If you're alive, well, you're going to get sick. If you're alive, you're going to have heartache. You're going to deal with brokenness. You're going to deal with limitations. You're going to deal with all of these things that go to, to being a finite human being that eventually is going to die. So if you know you're going to go through some of those things anyway, would it be better to go through them because you messed up or because you were doing the right thing? Keep going. I'm not getting done early again. I don't know what's happening with me. 18. Another connecting word. Four. Christ also suffered once, this word is once for all, by the way, once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Stop there just a second. The reason we have to recognize that, well, if you you look back again, he talked about it's better to suffer for the will of God than to suffer for doing wrong. And then his example is Jesus. If he came here, the whole purpose of him coming here is to seek and save that which is lost, right? Okay, and in order to do that, in order to pay for man's sin, he shed his blood once for all. And that wording there is significant because, especially for the Jewish readers, they had that, you know, that every year they had to sacrifice a Passover lamb, right? Every year they the Passover lamb because it, it just didn't get rid of sins. But Jesus died once for all. There's no more sacrifices there. So he dies once for all. But what if, well, let's just think about, he wasn't the only one crucified that day, was he? Yeah, maybe there were people crucified everywhere, but right there, or other places, but right there with him, there were two others, right? And what do we know about them? Why were they there? They were guilty. They were guilty, so they were paying the penalty for their crimes, right? What if Jesus was doing the same? What benefit is it to you and me if he was doing the same? If he was paying the penalty for his crimes... That doesn't help me. He has to be the lamb who doesn't have those crimes in order for his blood to pay for mine. He has to die for himself if he has those sins. And so the challenge is to be who we're supposed to be, live who we're supposed to live because of the fact that God's already set us an example and made it possible for us to complete this life, complete this race, keep going. By whom? Also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, we'll stop there. It's not the end of the sentence, but I wanted to get that word because of context. The in whom or by whom is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was, was 
through somebody preaching about Jesus. And what days did he describe it as? The days of Noah. I highlight that because you've seen it, I'm sure. I've seen it. Uh, years ago, we went to, they, they have like passion plays at different places in the world. And there's one in Eureka Springs, Missouri, that's like one of the first, I don't know. But anyway, uh, when we were at it the night, we saw this presentation. And they had the burial, and they put the stone there. And then all the lights went out. And then all of a sudden, behind that stone, you see the you hear thundering and you see flashing red lights and 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 then he's Jesus is yelling at Satan and the idea is that Jesus went to hell to preach to the spirits in prison uh, and then came back and his death. Well, that's not possible for several reasons. One of them is when the thief actually said, "Remember me when you come in your kingdom." What did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's not the same place the rich man was in Luke 16. That's where Lazarus was. Different place. So Jesus didn't go to the realm of, of punishment. Uh, also, the Hebrews writer tells us, it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after that, a second chance. No, doesn't say it. After that, the judgment. So there's no purpose in going to preach to those who are, who are already in eternity. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, from the very beginning... And this is highlighted in the days of Noah there. From the very beginning, what it's been about is this Messiah who is going to show up, live perfectly, commit no crimes, and yet die for the sins of all of mankind. That's what Noah preached. In prison to our sins. In prison to Satan. Yeah. Yeah. In the days of Noah, you want to know what Noah was doing for 120 years? He'll be called a preacher of righteousness soon. But here was his message. He's coming. He's coming one of these days, and that's way before Abraham, isn't it? Way before, you know, Moses gives them the law at Mount Sinai. Yeah, they're talking about a coming of Messiah that had been promised way back in Genesis chapter 3, who was going to live perfect and pay the penalty for sins. You know, we, we, we talk about the ark, and we talk about, they, how did the animals go in? Two by two, but that's not the only way they went in. Yeah, there were some sevens. There were some clean animals and some sacrificing animals. Okay, they sacrificed to God. They had responsibility for that. All of that was saying there's one coming. So you need to know who he's going to be. And Peter's saying, look, you live like this because you've seen him. You know he's come. He's lived here. He's died for our sins once for all. It's the same message that's been preached all along. Now, let me read 20 again who formerly were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. That gives a whole new meaning to you're the only one arguments. A whole world. You ever get discouraged? Maybe you've got something you're working on, a project or whatever, and you just don't think you're making any progress. Uh, can you imagine preaching for 120 years? And having nobody listen? Boy, that would be tough. What do you accomplish? One thing is, his family listened. Okay, anything else? God has always given man the ability and, and option to choose. So those people around him, seeing him build that boat, and they're making fun of him, and they're mocking him, and Moses or Noah rather is saying, "Look, my God's going to bring this rain, and He's going to save anybody on this boat. I'd sure like for you to go with us." And they laugh at him, but they had a choice. 
And so all of this was again pointing to this one who was coming. Now listen to this. There is also an anti-type. You know what a type anti-type is? Right? It's where there's some, like for example, in the Old Testament, there was a, 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 an ark, right? And there was a tabernacle, right? And there was a temple. Were those real places, real things? Yeah. In fact, they were, they were described physically by God about how to do them, right? Okay, right down to the measurements, everything about it. Okay, but, but isn't there a temple in the New Testament? Yeah, it's the church. It's Christians, but that's an anti-type. This is the type, that's the anti-type, the fulfillment of that. So now he says there is also an anti-type which now saves us. Noah and his family, eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an anti-type which now saves us, namely baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not the end of the sentence, but we're going to stop there. Uh, I told you, I tell you this sometimes. I told you just Wednesday night. That uh, I don't like to read commentaries. I want to figure out what the scriptures say. uh, If if I can, as best of my own. But I do read sometimes just to see what other people say. And on this passage, I I like to read their answers because it aggravates me. I I don't know why I like to be aggravated. But anyway... uh, Anyway, you, you, I read just today a commentator who talks about this and says, just like Noah and his family were saved through water, Christians today are saved through water. And then he says, but you don't have to be baptized to be saved. You're saved before it, and then you're baptized. He says, what you're baptized for is to get your conscience pure. Okay, I got a question. What does your conscience need to be pure from, purified from? The guilt of sin, okay? If you're saved before you're baptized, then why in the world does your baptism change your conscience? It doesn't, does it? He's not saying this is that you're saved. And Listen, I don't know any other place. I don't know how you could write this any more simple. Just like Noah was in the ark and he and his family were saved through water, Christians are saved through baptism. And then he says, it's not taking a bath. It is a good conscience turning to God and saying, same thing he says, I'm lost, I need you. That's what it is. That's a good conscience turning to God and responding in his way. I don't, it's not washing the dirt off your flesh. It's clearing your conscience and your soul. And the way that happens is through baptism. But here's the question. You know what the word means, don't you? What does the word baptism mean? Immersed, buried, immersed. It means, actually, it's a little deeper than that. It means going in and it actually has to come back up. It's got to include all of that. Uh, okay, but we've all done that before, haven't we? You, you, I mean, you've swam in the ocean or the river or the lake or a swimming pool or something. You ever went underwater? Then you came back up? Yeah. That's a baptism, isn't it? So that saves you, right? No, no, that's just getting wet. It has to be connected to something in order to be an action that saves you. And that is your conscience and, let's read the last of it again, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Why is it different when when I make a confession and am immersed at that point? Why is that different than jumping in a swimming pool? Is it because of the water? Is it because of the location? Is it because of the people watching? What's different? 
because of what I'm doing and what God is doing. We're saying the same thing. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, I can be resurrected, born again from my sins. Under his subjection, that's right. The whole thing is about, listen, all this chapter he's been talking about, and even the last part of chapter 2, submission, right? The way that we act toward each other, uh, being in a harmonious mind and all of that. And what he's now saying is the way you get to that place is just simply becoming a Christian. You become a Christian and what you're supposed to be at that point is connected to God where what matters more than even what I want is what God wants, right? And so I grow into what he wants me to become and then we become who we're supposed to be. Okay, comments or questions? Yes. Hmm? Especially since he has just ended by how bad things are. Yep, yep, very good. Buried, resurrected, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Anybody else? Okay. I'm going to let you up four minutes early. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight and study your word. We're so thankful, Father, for the opportunity to become what you want us to become, to live the life that is truly blessed uh, by the one who made us. Help us, Father, to recognize the power of that life and live it to, to shine your light throughout our community. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.